back to another episode of Tiny Dots, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Stories. Today I am joined by a musician, a social media influencer, and a rat owner and enthusiast, one Mr. Chad Mojito. Hello everyone, that's me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been a big fan, big fan of your work. Great, Uh, thanks for inviting me, of course. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. So what are we going to talk about today, Mr. Mojito? Well, um, we could talk about music or memes or rats. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about, and uh, I love to discuss about pretty much anything. So if you, I can pick um, a, a topic at random, or maybe there's one that doesn't come up as often as the others. Maybe you want to talk about rats. Sure. Yeah, we can we can jump around as well. Uh, one question I had is one question I had yeah. is where did you what what where did your interest grow with uh, with rats? Because um, I think now you have 22 of them. Yeah. Uh, so my interest uh, started um, about 10 years ago. I, um, I've been a, a lover of animals for a really long time. And basically, um, I got this apartment. Uh, it was in 2012. And... It felt quite empty without any pets, but I live in a small apartment with no backyard, so at first I really wanted a dog, but um, it didn't feel like a good idea to have a dog in, like, in such a small apartment with no garden or anything. So I went to uh, 4chan, which is a, a place that I love and always has good advice. I went on the animals and nature board of 4chan and I asked um, Anonymous, what is like a dog, but compatible for a small space. And 9 out of 10 people replied, rats. That's what you need. That's what you should try. Rats, that should be good for you. So I decided to try. I got a couple of rats. And it went really well. We had a great connection between owner and pet, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I got more. And uh, that's basically how it started. Is it is it like a gratifying kind of uh, relationship between you and the uh, the pet rats? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, there's a lot of different gratifications that are possible. Like when you take good care of them and they're healthy, that's so gratifying. Uh, some develop a strong bond with you. Some don't. Uh, a thing that always surprises people when I talk about rats or when I show them my rats or you know, when the subject, the topic comes up, is that rats can be very different from one another. They all have very distinct personalities, and there's not a typical rat. They all behave differently. So some of them will be kind of like introverts, I guess, and Mm -hmm. they don't really want to get out of their cage. They want to stay in their tiny boxes and houses and don't want to be left alone. Some of them are really, you know, outgoing. They always want to get out, spend time with you, run on your bed, climb on your shoulders. And um, so sometimes there are some rats where... um, they're really, you know, skittish and uh, kind of afraid of you at the beginning. And then we, with time and effort, you start to, you know, build an actual relationship. And uh, they uh, they start to, like, um, 
sleep uh, <laughs> on your lap or stuff like this, which is always great. Uh, but you know, it's um, it's it's a really nice uh, it's a really nice bed to have for many reasons. First, you don't have to take them outside. Uh, first, I, I used to have very bad uh, depression and anxiety for years, so going out was not something that I would do daily. I would uh, sometimes do it like really not often. So uh, th that's great that I don't have to to take them out. Also, um, yeah, th they can be happy in a small space. That's pretty cool when you live in a small apartment like me. Uh, and I, I really love the fact that it's um, it's always a group, you know, because rats cannot leave alone. That's one of the first things you learn about rats that is really important is that they need their little group, their little family, their little tribe. They cannot thrive alone. It's very bad for them. So you have to, to get um, like three, four, five. That's a good number for a starter. Um, two is technically enough, but you, re you have the risk that they won't, will not get along because since rats all have different personalities, that can happen. And uh, so it's better to have like four, uh, if you, especially if you're uh, like starting. It's, uh, four is perfect. Five, something like this. And um, so it's it really builds like this little community that is yeah, kind of like a family, kind of like a tribe, or kind of like a group of friends. And um, th that's really that's really cool. You have your little sitcom at <laughs> home. You see them interact. Some are friends with each other. Some are not. Sometimes they fight. Sometimes they. They cuddle. Sometimes they share their food or stuff like this. It's very entertaining. Uh, sometimes I, I put a, a chair in front of the cage and I watch them for like an hour or two. It's better than television. Uh, what were some like the early kind of trial and effort or trial and error um, or just early struggles you had with uh, keeping the animals? Um, something that I uh, something that I did not expect and that I did not understand fast enough is that their metabolism is kind of, um, you know, uh, even more um, finicky than ours. And yeah, there's something that I that I did really wrong at the beginning is that when I got my first couple of rats, um, I really wanted them to be happy and I wanted them to, to love me. So I gave them treats all the time and they both died of diabetes. And um, so that was very... That was very shameful for me, and that was like kind of, uh, yeah, that, it was difficult. Um, but that was a, a, a kind of a stepping stone, and I learned a lot about rat health since. And um, yeah, uh, their, their health—it's it, really weird because some, because on some aspects, like for example, they are really resistant to most illnesses. Like their immune system is super strong, and it resists to most viruses and bacteria. But there's some stuff that seems, you know, mundane and harmless that can uh, harm them quite a lot. Like, for example, burning incense or using deodorants, um, like the ones that come in cans, you know, um, that, that can be really uh, tough on their respiratory system. And uh, they're, uh, it's kind of their weak point, you know, the, the, the whole nose, lungs uh, complex. It's, uh, it's when usually when they get sick it's upper respiratory infection that's what that what happens a lot of the time but 
Yeah, they're also sensitive to their diet. And uh, for example, if you give them too much protein, it will give them uh, eczema and urticaria. They'll scratch themselves all the time. Sometimes uh, they keep scratching until they start bleeding. It's uh, So you, re you really have to be um, careful with their diet. In the wild, they mainly eat grains, you know, in cereal like wheat, uh, oats, corn, rice, stuff like this. That's the bulk of their diet. And uh, you can give them pretty much anything as a treat. That's something I really love, is that uh, I share my meals with them really often now. Uh, I've learned to, to do it. It's kind of like a, even a reflex now. When I make food, I always make a little too much food so I can share with them my leftovers or just, you know, let them run to my plate and steal a little bit of something. Um, because they have a diet that is very close to ours. They love vegetables, they love meat, they love eggs, cheese, candy, you know, pretty much everything that you can eat, they can eat. And uh, in small quantities, everything's fine for them, pretty much. Uh, there are some exceptions, but basically that's how it works. So that's that, that's something really cool um, that I learned kind of the hard way. But now I'm uh, kind of an expert in red diet, and uh, yeah, I can always eyeball if uh, something is too much for them or not enough or fine or not. You know. What are what are their favorite snacks? Uh, like what what have you noticed they really they really gravitate to? So. Of course, it can vary from rat to rat because they have different personalities and they have different tastes. But there's something that is really common to all rats. They all love yogurt. They're all absolute fans of yogurt. Uh, Greek yogurt or anything like this. And anything that looks or, or smells or tastes close to yogurt, like mascarpone or uh, you know cream. or uh, They absolutely love that. Um, cottage cheese also uh, they're fond of that and um, apart from that they also really really love peanuts <laughs> and uh, most nuts like walnuts, hazelnuts but especially peanuts so peanuts and yogurt that's every rat I've ever known is absolutely mad about these absolutely fond of them and uh, after that there's some stuff that most rats like like for example leafy green vegetables it's generally uh well-liked, like um, spinach, for example, you know, or uh, a lot of rats also like chocolate, um, candy in general, but especially chocolate, um, and um, a lot of rats I've seen like, you know, berries like strawberries, raspberries, uh, black currants, stuff like this, they usually love that, and um, some a, a bunch of fruits, like especially cherries and peaches, and... Um, yeah, also they all love chicken. Mm. Uh, chicken is very, very liked in general. They, yeah. uh, it, it even reinforces their you know, little dog <laughs> thing because they will uh, chew on the bones just like a, a dog mm. would. Uh, you give them some chicken bones and they, they'll gnaw on that for, for a long time. It's, uh, yeah, it's nice. What's the weirdest thing you've seen one of your pet rats eat? I mean, not not like weird, like they shouldn't have gotten to it, but just strangest thing that you tried out and it worked. Um, strawberries with mayonnaise on it. Hmm. I I was cleaning my fridge, and uh, there were some strawberries that were like not rotten, but a little old, still kind of fine, but not great, you know. And I also have some some mayonnaise in in the bottom of a pot that was 
also not uh, you know not overdue but uh, it was starting to get old so I mixed those I gave him and some didn't like it but some ate that you know they, they devoured it uh, a, a few of them really <laughs> liked that they seem to have quite a fondness for wood also they love to gnaw on wood uh, so you can them you can give them small pieces of or big pieces of wood in their cage so they'll chew on that but um, yeah your furniture will probably <laughs> get damaged uh, because they love to chew wood that probably helps with like dental stuff right just making sure their teeth aren't yeah. overgrown yeah exactly yeah like all rodents their teeth uh, keep growing like for their whole life doesn't stop and uh, they have to you know use them quite a lot uh, to you know f- file them down basically and um, yeah so that's um, because of that most of their food like when you go in a pet store or something like this and you buy rat food is like little pellets that are very hard uh, usually they're made of uh, oats and wheat and uh, a few stuff I've, I had one that was flavored with uh, black currants and apples. They really like that. Uh, I've also had one that was flavored with uh, chicken. They really like that also. And uh, yeah, it's it's important for them to uh, use their teeth on a daily basis. Otherwise, they'll get so big that it will be like a real problem. I had a question about a. So I I joined the uh, the rat the rat page um, where you highlight. We'll go over plugging your stuff at the end, but uh, I joined that page when there was a large amount. But my uh, my girlfriend has been a big fan since the early days, and she told me that um, there was an event where the ladies escaped the cage and had a wild night with the boys. Just when you had the influx of baby rats, was that a very labor-intensive process? Well, not so much, because rats, um, as, as I said, are, they're very social, so they take care of each other a lot. Which is also something cool, because if someday you're busy or something... I remember a few years ago, I got a really bad... Um, I think it was the flu, and I was, like, in bed with a high fever for several days, and they took care of each other. They, they were fine, you know? So that's something that's pretty cool. Uh, and so with the babies, um, the moms were with them all the time. They were taking care of them. They were, like, uh, you know, giving them their milk, cleaning them. And it was not very labor-intensive. Uh, when baby rats get born, they, they're like really noisy. They'll squeak all day long. But fortunately, it's only for 48 hours. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it can be very annoying, but um, it's uh, it's not for, for too long. And, yeah, it's not, it's not very labor-intensive because the little babies uh, don't do a lot except eating or sleeping. They learn to walk around two or three weeks old and that's when it can get you know a little tricky but uh, when they born when they are born actually they're they don't have any hair they don't uh, have eyes or ears and they cannot walk you know so they're even more useless than human <laughs> babies uh, after they're born they're like they can't they cannot do anything so you can just Put them in a you know in, in in a chair or in a couch or whatever they won't move, and uh, as as soon as as, as long as the, the mothers uh, have access to them, everything will be fine. You know. Obviously, you have like an intimate relationship with these these animals. So did like the mothers try and show the babies to you, or kind of have you involved in some facet? 
yes. So it happened actually three times. I mean, three times. Now it, it happens with three females, uh, which all had quite different attitude about it. Um, one of them had, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, interaction with me. Sometimes she would like take the babies and bring them to me one at a time, and then she would like, uh, you know, go take a nap while I was taking care of them. Um, one other of the females, she was like the, the mother hen, you know, she would be with her babies all the time. Uh, and uh, there was a, a, a third one who, who like was like the complete opposite. Um, she would like uh, give them their milk and then like clean them real quick. And then she would go away on the other side of the cage and she, she would not take care of them uh, except for the minimum. Uh, so that was interesting to see uh, the, the very different types uh, of parenting from uh, from the rats. That, that was fun. Are the are the connections that they form more familial, or is it by more generation? Like, do do the adult male rats or who were babies get along with the the rats that maybe you didn't first acquire as babies? Uh, yes, uh, age does not really matter. It does matter in their uh, hierarchy relationships because they have like this uh, society with uh, layers of hierarchy but um, in friendship I've seen many times very old rats being great friends with really young ones uh, it's uh, often what will happen is that rats from the same litter you know the we could, could call them twins in a way uh, they tend to have a stronger bond when they will you know uh, born at the same time, raised together, but not always. And uh, yeah, the really old rats can be the best friends of really young rats. It's not a, it's not an issue. I've seen it happen many times. So is uh, is owning rats something you uh, you're gonna do for like the rest of your life? Are you gonna? Is that kind of the pet you're gonna stick with? I often uh, ask myself about this. I've um, yeah, I, I ask myself that question. Yeah, oh, not every day, but all, very often, and um, I, I, I don't, I don't really know. Um, it's yeah. What's um, what's with rats is that they have, you know, uh, as I explained, this little uh, bond, and they live in like families, tribes, or societies. So a lot of the time, it feels like you know you don't have rats you have the mischief you have the tribe and when old uh, or frail ones die or you get new ones um, it doesn't feel so much as a change uh, you know it's it's still the tribe so because of that uh, I think it would be weird because I would have to decide at some point not to renew uh, the generations and uh, I, I'm not I'm not sure but I've been thinking about it I've been kind of wanting to try um, other animals uh, maybe guinea pigs you know I, I really really love rodents but mm -hmm. I would maybe want to try some other ones guinea pigs seem really really chill and they're like they have many similarities with rats um, maybe it would be cool to have a pet that lives a bit longer because rats have an average lifespan of two years which can be a little short and uh, yeah, so there's there's other animals. I've uh, recently heard about the 
watcher rat from Australia called uh, Rakali, uh, which seems really nice. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've always been a big lover of dogs. I'm a, really a dog person, hundred percent. So if one day I have a bigger space with a, a garden, a backyard, you know, I would love to have a, a couple dogs. Yeah. I wanted to ask about. Um about the uh, kind of dying portion. Obviously, it must be very difficult for you, but do you do you feel like the rats mourn for each other? Uh, it happens. I've definitely... I I couldn't say 100% because it can be, you know, anthropomorphization. Uh, and that's sometimes, you know, it, it happens all the time. You see a dog and he looks guilty, but then there are scientific experiments that would make that dogs don't feel guilt. And when you see a dog looking guilty, you're just imagining it. Uh, because you apply human things to uh, an animal that behaves differently, so I've I think I've seen it happen, but I wouldn't be sure about it. Sometimes after a death, rats uh, are kind of gloomy and they seem to be not playing too much and sleeping a lot. But yeah, sometimes they look sad, but maybe I'm projecting my own sadness onto them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be sure about it, but it seems to me that it happens. Yeah. Uh, if you get to, if you had like the opportunity to raise and live with any animal on Earth, no, no negative, uh, no negative like repercussions. Uh, what would it be? Uh-huh. Um, I would really want to try uh, capybara. It's uh, it's the largest rodent in the world. It's native of South America or maybe Central America. Uh, I think south. I think south. So, yeah. Uh, this animal seems like really chill, uh, but uh, it's it's complicated because they probably make good pets, but they uh, spend most of their lives in water. So it's really important to them uh, to have something like a lake or a river where they will spend basically half of their, of their life, uh, half of their days. And... Um, so of course that's complicated you would have to have a, a huge house with a, a lake or some people have these um, houses with swimming pools when, and the, for the capybara it seems to be enough uh, or maybe a, like a huge uh, bath uh, tub but um, yeah of course that would be the problem of um, insects because when you have water it attracts all the Insects, mosquitoes, wasps, and I, I, first, I, I really don't uh, like mosquitoes. Um, I, I love most animals, but there are some exceptions. Of course. So uh, yeah, that would be that would be the difficult part. But uh, yeah, probably uh, pigs also seem pretty cool. Uh, 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 I, I think George Clooney had a domesticated pig for a really long time. Maybe he still has it. And um, yeah, that seems like a cool pet. Yeah, pigs seem very fun. They seem like uh, they seem kind of like yeah. dogs, except in terms of social yeah, ability. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a in the middle of the countryside, between a farm, another farm, and nothing. So uh, f- since I was like really little, I've been um, you know in contact with farm animals, and um, especially uh, cows, sheep. Uh, goats and uh, chicken so uh, they all seem really cool and nice and fun 
and uh, I've seen some farmers have um, as pets, and uh, yeah, I, I would really a cow is like huge, so that that could be complicated. But I know I know a lot of people who have pets. Uh, birds uh, and uh, some of these uh, are, you know, the parrots and uh, conures that are classic. But I, I know I've I've known quite a few people who had pet uh, chickens or ducks or pigeons. Birds seem really cool, but I, I probably wouldn't have one because they make a lot of noise, and uh, that's also one something that is quite cool with rats. They're pretty much silent. They're very discreet, stealthy, and they make almost zero noise. So that's something I, I appreciate, um, and uh, yeah, uh, goats seem fun and cool. Also, Pr probably uh, uh, there seems to be a lot of similarities between goats and rats. They're uh, they're quite smart. They have a, a personality. They in between cats and dogs, you know, and they eat everything. And uh, so uh, yeah, I would like to have a goat. They seem cool. They seem oh nice. yeah, my uh, my two. My two grandmothers are uh, veterinarians, and they have a few goats. They're a pleasure to uh, they're a pleasure to hang around with. Nice. Yeah. So, just uh, switching topics here, your uh, your big wheelhouse seems to be in meme culture and in uh, kind of influencing some trends. So, what what jumped? I mean, it is a form of comedy. So, what uh, what kind of launched you into this realm of memes and uh, internet comedy? Well. I um, I have been uh, really in love with it for a very long time. I had my first computer in the year 2K to 2000, and um, I, I and I had my uh, my first internet connection about a year later. So I started going on the internet regularly in 2001, and um, immediately I I discovered a lot of stuff. Uh, the ancestors of uh, social media, which were like message boards at, at the time, I was on a on a bunch of message boards, and um, also I read a lot of web comics, and a bunch of these web comics, like for example, Elf Thor, uh, the violent little elf, and Pokey the Penguin, were kind of, you know, more or less into meme culture. And soon after that, I discovered Newgrounds, which I really loved also. Like, we all remember the Badger Badger song <laughs> and uh, Sad Fingers, this crazy cartoon, stuff like this. Uh, I, all, um, I fell in love with those instantly. And um, yeah, I met a lot of people through the internet, through message boards, through MySpace, uh, through... Uh, even you know a, a bunch of different sites, and um, that uh, I, I think that my really my love of uh, internet memes and comedy was always there, even before I knew that there were a thing and that they haven't had a name for me, which is like for me it just was funny images. I, I, I didn't really think about them really deep. And of course, uh, my love and interest for them really crystallized in 2000, 2008 when I discovered 4chan. Um, instantly fell absolutely in love with this site, the community, the lore. I spent all my days reading Encyclopedia Dramatica to 
learn about everything and then I was on 4chan like all night looking at the uh, epic fail guy threads and all the lolcats and whatever it was cool at the time you know and um, yeah that, that was really um, the foundations were already laid but you know the 4chan was like the first important uh, part of, of my love and interest in internet memes and then soon after that I discovered Tumblr uh, which I also absolutely love and uh, 4chan and Tumblr have, are very similar in most aspects so uh, the, the, the only the only difference is that on Tumblr you, you have an account and uh, there's no general rooms and you follow people and people follow you kind of like on Twitter and on 4chan you have these boards you know with the threads but the culture is very similar the humor is similar and uh, these were like really really important to me um, and I've been I've been visiting them for more than 10 years almost every day now and yeah that that's it it didn't there was not really a big this is it moment it was gradual was first I discovered the message boards and then I discovered uh, new grounds and then I discovered and and each time I was more and more interested and more and more involved with the internet and basically I've, I've seen it grow I've seen it grow because uh, I, at the beginning uh, the first time I went on the internet it was probably 1998 and uh, it was it was very different from what it is now um, in terms of structure you know there was no social media there were uh, things were different but the the humor the culture it hasn't really changed that much you know were there any early attempts at content making or content like catering that uh that fell through before you've kind of hit your wheelhouse right now oh many many times yes uh, I started making my first webcomic, uh, I think it was in 2002 or 2003. Um, I had several message boards that I run. Um, I was very active on MySpace since the beginning. I started publishing my music on MySpace in 2005. Um, I've posted a lot of stuff on uh, 4chan, whether it's like... Uh, uh, on the on the music board or, or whatever um, I started on Facebook in 2008 uh, but it was I didn't have a page pages didn't really exist at the time it was on my personal account uh, also I started a Google Plus account <laughs> dedicated to memes and in 2011 um and uh, I had a, I had a YouTube channel where I posted like comedy stuff since uh, since YouTube existed basically and um, yeah there's been many many times where I just kept posting my stuff I started my bandcamp I started uploading regularly on bandcamp in 2011 um, I had several YouTube channels that were all kind of different from each other and um, yeah and I, I know I'm forgetting some stuff uh, but I've already I've always uh, I've always been very active and um, I've always you know uh, I, I published some uh, short stories on some message boards for a while and the, the stories were like really weird and uh, kind of you know surrealistic or dadaist you would say 
um, yeah, since uh, like 2004. Uh, so I've been doing all of this for a really, really long time before uh, I was hit with uh, like this big audience uh, that started in 2015. Also, I've had a, a Tumblr blog, which I've used a lot for sharing memes and since, since 2010. So, uh, yeah, I was already very, very active for many years before the, uh, the stuff started to take uh, off. Where did the music element come from? Was that something you always wanted to experiment with, or was that just a natural kind of branching out of your creativity? Kind of both. Um, but it's, I would say it started with music. That's what I did first. Um, you know, I had my Bandcamp and my SoundCloud that I used a lot. Uh, they both they both started ten years ago, so uh, much much longer before that. I started uh, uploading some music videos and covers and uh, original songs on YouTube. I think it was in two thousand and eight. Um, I had uh, I had several uh, pages on MySpace uh, beginning in two thousand and four or five for different projects of music that I was making. Uh, there was one of them that was like these really silly songs with, with weird lyrics, uh, but there was some that, that were more serious and uh, kind of, you know, more uh, ma mainstream, less experimental. So uh, I, I started making music when I was a, when I was a child, really. Um, and um, it... Um, I'd say it accelerated when I got my first uh, guitar, because uh, before that I, I already uh, I learned piano at a very young age, and then when I was in middle school I learned the drums and percussion, and then in high school I got my first guitar, started learning guitar, and that's when I started making uh, my own songs. Although I already had um, a, a music. Uh, not really software, it was a PlayStation game called Music 2 something and uh, you could make your own tracks and I, I, I played with that a lot um, between... Um, I think it was released in, in Y2K, so in the, in, the early, uh, in the early 2000s uh, and uh, yeah, at the same at the, at the time I was experimenting with a lot of stuff, trying to make uh, whatever uh, I, I, uh, I could with my computer, so of course I uh, I had uh, a lot of these comics that I made that were all made in MS Paint. Um, I made uh, maps for Counter Strike, mods for uh, especially Max Payne. I really loved the the Max Payne modding tools; they were great. Um, and um, yeah, it's uh, I wouldn't say it really started at some point, but it. it kind of always there and there were some times where some stuff accelerated uh, the thing like for example in 2011 when I birthed, when I bought uh, a, a good uh, audio interface for recording my music on the computer so that that was like a, a stepping stone that, that accelerated things but yeah it's it, I always did that kind of stuff as far as I can remember. Uh, who were some influences growing up? Did you have any influences, or was it very just kind of like stick to your own guns and make what you like? Uh, it it uh, it changed a bit uh, from time to time, 
but um, yeah, when it comes to the when it comes to the um, the comedy, I was very very influenced by uh, Elf Thor, Pokey the Penguin, um, Weeble, the guy who made Badger Badger song and many other similar ones, and um, I was I was also heavily influenced by the. Um, uh, David Firth, the creator of Sad Fingers, I, I've watched all his uh, cartoons many times. There were uh, a lot of different ones. There were uh, uh, really, uh, yeah, you know, there were some of them that were kind of silly, and uh, there were some of them that were really dark, and there was this whole spectrum of. Uh, I, I'd say that Sad Fingers was like right in between the right in between the silly, funny, and the dark, creepy stuff. Uh, it had uh, about both equally and there were some that were like just silly funny like one called burnt face man a superhero <laughs> with a burnt face and uh, there was one that was like really creepy and dark and weird called spoilsbury toast boy uh, that was that was kind of epic and um, yeah I, I would say that musically um, I've for most of my life, I've been listening to very different kinds of music all the time. I'd never had a favorite genre, really. Um, but in the way music is made, I say I was really, really influenced by this guy called Owen Pellet. Uh, he's a musician from Canada. He was uh, at the first, at the beginning of his career, he went as Final Fantasy, <laughs> but then he changed his name to his personal name to avoid confusion with the video game. And um, yeah. This guy, um, the way he works, the way he he makes music was uh, was really really important to me. That was that was yeah. Discovering him was also a stepping stone for uh, what I what I've done since. And uh, yeah, there was there's also artists that inspired me for a really long time. Um, Daft Punk and Slipknot are really important um, influences for most of the music I've made. Uh, the Cure, also Muse. Uh, I, I'm not even a, a huge fan of Muse. There are some of their songs that I really like, but I, I, I've stolen so much stuff from them uh, that you know. I mean, when I say stolen, you know. No, of it, course. It, it, it got so transformed that it's very different from the uh, original stuff. But yeah, I, I've taken a lot of stuff uh, from a few bands uh, and. Uh, Slipknot, Daft Punk, the, the Cure, and Muse are the main four. Uh, they've been the main four influences of my music for at least a decade. Yeah, so we were we were talking about video games a little while ago. Uh, are you a, are you a big fan of the the video game realm? Well, it depends. I'm not sure if I would qualify as a gamer myself because. I don't play video games all year round. Sometimes I, I start a game and I get really into it, and then I stop playing games when I finished it for sometimes months. Uh, there's, there's been a time for years where I didn't play at all. And uh, uh, there's, been a, there's been a few games that I really, really loved. I try to go um, quality over quantity because games are, are a thing that you can really sync so many hours into so I really wanted to feel worth it so uh, I, um, for a really long time I was not adventurous it also comes from a background because 
when I was a kid, uh, family was, well, not exactly poor, but I say the lowest of the lower class, of the, <laughs> the lowest of the lower middle class, you know? Uh, we didn't have any problem with, like, uh, hunger or, you know, uh, housing, but, you know, I had a, I had the Nintendo 64, but my, my, my family only had enough money to buy me, like, two games. So, um, I, I had to choose games that I was sure that were good and that I would like I could not gamble uh, with my choices because because of the scarcity so I went for, to for uh, Super Mario 64 and uh, Ocarina of Time and for, for a long time because of that my, my you know uh, gaming um, universe was quite mainstream because I was always you know attracted to the AAA titles uh, because first there were uh, easy to find used um, when I was more little I had Game Gear and I had like a, a few Sonic games on it and uh, you know a, a few a few games that were like really big and really appreciated by many so I, I knew it wouldn't be a I knew I would like the the game and um, so my, my my gaming experience was really in the mainstream for a long time uh, because of that. And later, I discovered uh, indie games. Um, so uh, I, I tried a few. I had friends that had a, like an Xbox 360 or a, or a PS3, so uh, so I could try some stuff on the. Thanks to the internet, you know, a lot of indie stuff. Um, there was uh, Limbo was really great. Fez also, um, great memories. And um, yeah, so after that. After that, I stopped playing for a while, and then I, I'm not sure why I started playing again. Um, I think I, I found a like while cleaning the house, I found a, an old Game Boy in a drawer uh, with a Pokemon cartridge. So I started playing Pokemon again, and I really got into Pokemon at that time. Uh, I uh, kind of it was kind of a mix of nostalgia and uh, of. Uh, this game is much better than I remember. It's actually really great, and so I really got into it, and I played a lot of Pokemon uh, between, let's say, uh, 2010 and 2012, and then I also kind of drifted away from gaming at that time, and then in 2014, um, I finally got a Steam account, um, because uh, it was it was the, the, the time where I finally had a a decent computer after having not really a computer uh, a good computer between the mid 2000s and uh, the mid 2010s so um, yeah I, I got a decent computer I played all, a lot of games that I missed during my non gaming years like portal for example and uh, I uh, I was really attracted by this game called Goat Simulator. <laughs> That's the game that made me install Steam. Before that, I, I always I knew about Steam, but I didn't want to install it because I don't know. It seemed it seemed a little weird. It took me a, a lot of time to get used to the idea, not of the materialized stuff because I was using music streaming services before Spotify was even a thing. Uh, there was this site called Radio Blog Club that was so good. It was like Spotify, but much better in, in, on many aspects. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it seemed like people were always complaining that they're, you know, spend 
too much money on Steam because of sales and whatever, and that's something that I kept hearing all the time. So I was like, no, I don't think uh, I don't think I'm interested. But then I really wanted to try this game called Goat Simulator. I don't even remember how I heard about it, uh, but somehow I saw the trailer at some point, and I thought like, I really want to try this game. And it was I think it was uh, even when I was new. And just released, it was like 10 euros, so I, I, I bought it, and I played uh, and I played it a lot. And then I installed some other games, uh, still like the really mainstream stuff, because I still had the, that reflex. Uh, so I, I tried, uh, I don't remember what I, what I bought, Portal 2, Half-Life 2, some stuff that was like really... Uh, big and that people love Deus Ex, the, the first Deus Ex, some stuff like this. And then after a while, uh, you know, I decided to try some smaller games and uh, based on the recommendations of friends or, or internet influencers or critics or usually all three. And uh, yeah, there was a time where I was like really into indie, uh, or, or I think it was 2016. And then um, then I, in 2018, 2019, I kind of stopped playing altogether, and I started, uh, you know, gaming again a few weeks ago, so I've never been, like, uh, into video games all the time, it's on and off, sometimes I'm really into it, sometimes not at all, and it's, uh, I'm, because of that, I'm not sure if, if I would be, like, really a gamer, because, uh, I, I tend to favor quality over quantity, and, uh, I don't game all year round. The thing about uh, Goat Simulator is that I feel like it paired uh, memes with with video games uh, together very well. Is that kind of what drew your interest in? It's a it's kind of just one giant that they built a game about. Uh, as as I remember, it, it kind of happened the other way around. Like they made the game, and it, there were memes that started around it, but. Um, I remember how I heard about it because it, it was in 2012 it was in like um, December 2012 or January 2013 like it was like the end of 2012 the beginning of 2013 I discovered on YouTube uh, videos of goats screaming like humans mm, you know? yeah. and I started watching these videos really often I, I, I really fell in love with these videos since the beginning and I was I would keep trying to find more and uh, that's how I discovered Goat Simulator a few months later uh, because I was just looking for videos of funny goats on YouTube and I, I found this and then I read about it and I learned that that's how the game got made because this guy from a small uh, video game studio called Coffee Stain I think they're from Finland or Sweden, I'm not sure. Um, it's Sweden or Finland. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's one of those. And they were doing the same thing. They were on YouTube looking at funny goats screaming uh, videos like, like I was doing all the time. And they decided to make a fake trailer for a goat game on April 1st, you know, for April Fools. But a lot of people took that seriously and convinced them to release the, the, the actual game uh, that was at the beginning just a joke 
And yeah, the, this whole thing made me really want to try the game because, like, oh, this it's a game made by people like me who have the same interests, and uh, that seems cool. Uh, I, and yeah, I really wanted to be a part of it. I really wanted to be a, 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 a to try that. So that's what that's what lured me, and you know the uh, the identity. How uh, I just wanted to ask you how um, how do you think meme culture is is evolving, and where do you think it's like its next steps are? Because things are things are certainly getting difficult today. You left and right, you see pages are getting zucked, which of course is Facebook yeah. taking them down. So, are you worried about are you worried about its future on certain certain social media sites? Um, not really. I think it will get more accepted as time goes on and as uh, my generation and the younger generations you know grow up uh, and become you know in, in positions of power and uh, that uh, that that should be uh, better accepted as time goes on there's well there's several things to say about that question first there's not really a meme culture I think um, because Memes are something that you sprinkle on top of, of a culture. You know, they're kind of like the salt uh, or uh, kind of like the, the cherry on top of, of a cake that would be a community. And um, there's not really... I haven't really seen communities really built around memes. It's more like when a community is built, then memes arise from it. Uh, but I, I haven't really seen a communities crystallize around memes. There was an attempt uh, of that about 10 years ago in a site called 9gag. <laughs> it kind of failed, you know. Uh, it never really became a community. And it never really became a meme machine. It was just... It was brilliant for the first few weeks. And then it quickly crashed down. Um and uh, yeah, it's um, there. There's a lot to to say about this, um, but yeah, there's there. That's kind of the problem. There should not be a meme culture. There should not be an internet culture because internet is not really a thing. It's just people. It's just a way of communication. It's like if people said uh, like there's a phone culture uh, or a letter culture or. Uh, you know, there, there's no such thing. It's just uh, it's just a tool uh, that people use to communicate and, and uh, share things. So it, it's weird when I hear about like meme culture because memes have always been there and there never been a culture. Um, there's you know there's a lot to. Um, for example, I give an example. Um, there's a. Uh, this uh, very famous writer from Britain from uh, the 17th century called William Shakespeare. Everyone knows about him. And he would, like, invent words. But he was not a scientific or anything like this, you know? He was not like a scientific who discovered a rare frog and decided to name it after, you know, his wife or whatever. He was um, a guy who just, you know, wrote stories. And sometimes he would, like, invent a word and uh, because it made sense, because it would be like understood in a way or another, and then people started like saying that word again and again, it spread, and it became a new word that really existed inside the language, 
uh, ex nihilo just from the mind of that man and that is that, that's a meme that's that's how memes work that's what memes are it's an idea that just makes sense but since human have human people have many similarities from each other it spreads and the, the bad the best ones uh, or the most relatable ones or the most useful ones with will spread faster or further but yeah i don't like when people make memes from for the sake of memes i like it's it's masturbatory and it's it's vacuous and it's vain and it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere and usually doesn't it doesn't make you know new things it's usually reusing of old stuff that's that gets you know killed and uh, um, and then he rises again from the dead but it's just a it's just a, a corpse rotting <laughs> with some strings attached that happened a lot on reddit about 10 years ago not so much now but uh, it's memes shouldn't be a culture it should be a it should be a, a natural part of, of society like it always has been like people were you know passing around quotes from like Seinfeld in the 90s and some made it in, in, into the language that's what a meme really is about that's how it really should be it's uh, it's a thing that some people make not not necessarily for comedy there's a lot of memes that are not funny there are you know there's the wholesome memes there are the edgy memes there are the the cultural interesting memes and uh, I don't think it's going anywhere because it always was there that's how we communicate uh, there's this uh, anthropologist called Richard Dawkins who who invented the term meme and he said uh, a meme is to uh, a society or a culture what a gene is to uh, you know DNA and chromosomes uh, it, it's a little part that spreads and get, gets replicated because it has some kind of use either it's funny or it conveys an, an emotion or something to that needs to be communicated or you know there, there's many reasons and um, I think we have an issue at the time of censorship on the internet but I don't think it has a lot to do with the memes because some people that have nothing to do with memes uh, get uh, the problems from that like uh, politicians journalists or um, creative types like uh, actors or whatever and there's a lot of people that are hurt by the the censorship uh, recently on the internet whether it's in, on YouTube or, or Facebook or Instagram um, it's there's been a, an obsession about safety uh, recently, you know, safety guidelines, safety stuff, and to the point where it has become hostile. Now, when I hear about safety, I'm like, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, I've, I've come to hate that word, and when I hear someone talk about it, I know they're going to be a, a, a and say some 1984 stuff. Um, so, I mean, there's always been a delicate balance in, in society between safety and freedom. We need both, and we need a moderate amount of both, and they need to be balanced, you know, like in the, the balance of justice. Uh, there's, there needs to be some freedom, 
but not freedom to do everything. Or, otherwise, you could just kill everyone and get away with it. So, you, too much freedom is bad, but not enough freedom is maybe worse. And it's the same for safety. If there was no safety, then uh, people would like there would not be any any safe food safety, for example. It's very important. Uh, if there was no if there was no, no rules and regulations about food, we would all get food poisoning all the time and uh, stuff like this. But too much safety is is very oppressive and it, it creates more problems uh, than not enough. You know, so the balance has shifted um, from an equal amount of freedom and safety, like it was 20 years ago, to too much safety at the time, and that's a lot of. There's a lot to say about this, and it's um, it's caused, amongst other things, by the Google-Facebook duopoly uh, that kind of killed the online advertisement uh, thing. That and it's it's not a free market anymore. It's a, yeah, it's a duopoly basically, and so because of that, uh, they have to. They are the biggest media providers in the world. At the time, and but they still are at the mercy of advertisers because without uh, venture capital, they would have nothing. And you could you could look, for example, at, at YouTube. Um, they haven't made money for so many years. Like YouTube was a money hole that was devouring millions, sometimes billions per year, and they were they have not been profitable for most. Of the time that, I ha that they have existed, same for Twitter. It's it's just it's venture capital that fuels this, and uh, because of that, these people, these these, these people who run this economy, um, and and provide the funds to make it doable, they want safety. They don't want uh, anyone to be uh, you know seeing something that might offend them. So, uh, so yeah. Because of all that, because of the, the system, and it's not it's not a viable system. It's not gonna be you know that, and that's how venture capital works. It's not you want return on investment sooner or later, but if it never comes, uh, you know the the system will have to be changed. And the internet is still kinda young, but um, I don't think it can stay that way for too much of a long time. Because you know, it, it will have to change. Uh, it will it, it will have to change, and the the way money is made and, and passed around will will have to change sooner or later. Because it's yeah, it's not a viable model. It's it's kind of obvious. We are in a in a position that is is not viable in any way. You know, it's kind of like. A, it's kind of like yes, someone that's on a motorcycle on a on a rope above a canyon. You know, it it hasn't failed so far because it has lots of stuff to help him get his balance, but it's gonna fall, and um, things will have to change sooner or later because there's a lot of sites and internet things that are just money titanics. They keep losing money and they keep not being profitable. And um, Google has sunk so much money in YouTube despite it not being profitable for like 10 years because they need that monopoly they have on online video distribution. Uh, 
because that allows them to serve more ads and you know ads is how they make more most of their money it's same for amazon for example uh, amazon uh the whole amazon.com stuff where they sell everything that's not how they make most of their money it's a small part uh and um everything that they have like the the, the kindle or amazon uh the netflix equivalent i forgot the name but yeah the, they don't make most of their money from the from the store or from their from their um public services they make their money by uh, basically renting servers to to websites it's uh, it's something called aws and um that's there's a lot of stuff on the internet that do not make money or don't for a long time or did for a, a bit and then stopped um like f yeah and it often works like this uh, because of vc which finances a lot of stuff like that uber for example i don't think they've ever made a penny no they're not profitable i i if i remember correctly they lose like a billion per year they have never made a cent yeah i had a, I had a uh, driver one time tell me that they're actually a research and development uh company just the the driving part is a front they're probably going to ditch the driving when they find a way to cut out the human element like they're pouring it all into research yeah, that's how it. That's how it works for most big sites and apps and services. Uh, the part that you think is the most important is actually just the tip of the iceberg. Like for example, for Facebook and Google, uh, the the way they make most of their money is advertisement, and the part where they allow people to share pictures and videos and that that's that's meaningless for them. It, it doesn't. It could, could completely crash. It wouldn't change much uh, for their business model. So, um, yeah. I think my last question. Uh, yeah. My last question for you before I let you go, so I don't eat up your whole night, is um. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. How do you feel about how do you feel about uh, companies starting to use memes as a way to reach out to potential audiences? Um, do you think this will like hurt? hurt the form of uh, communication? Do you think it'll bring it to newer peaks? Um, well, I've seen a lot of people getting really mad about it, and I, I don't understand. Uh, I see it as not good and not bad. I just see it as kind of a normal uh, evolution of things. Th that's the point of a meme, to be spread, to be shared. That's the reason why it exists that what starts it that's what keeps it alive so of course companies will start using them as they seep more and more into you know the co co the the collective consciousness and um i don't understand why people think it's bad i don't understand why people think it's good although i almost never seen people argue in favor of it um uh, it seems normal to me, you know? It seems logical. It seems like the logical next step of uh, internet memes. But memes have always been a thing. And uh, for better or for worse. And if they're used for comedy or self stuff, that's probably the best thing that can happen. I am reminded of this. Um, there's, there was about a hundred years ago... About a hundred years ago, at the time, people did not really eat cereal for breakfast, you know? 
and uh, there was this brand, I, I don't remember what brand, uh, that um, made some kind of cornflakes stuff or uh, with chocolate or whatever. And uh, they had a slogan, they had ads on the radio, there was no TV at the time, but there were, they had ads uh, in the newspapers and on the radio that said something like, uh, uh, with uh, our, our, our cereal is so delicious that it will turn your breakfast into the most important meal of the day. And that was their slogan. It's a good slogan. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's a good advertisement. But year after year, people started, you know, referencing this as a joke, that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's, it was because people at the time knew it, it was a slogan of an ad. Um, and so they, they used it as a meme, you know, they, they used it as uh, some kind of funny reference in a conversation. But then, year after year, the saying kept um, existing, but people forgot about the origin. And nowadays, there are many people who believe that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, is an accurate and scientific statement about your health, although it's, it's not true at all. Actually, many scientific studies show that If you are hungry in the morning, then it's good to eat. And if you are, if you are not hungry in the morning, then you should not eat breakfast. And it, it sounds, it sounds so simple that it's dumb, but it's, it's true. That's how it works. And breakfast is certainly not the most important meal of the day. It's just an an ad slogan for from like a hundred years ago, and um, that's that's the danger of of a meme is when you forget that it, where it comes from and you take it at face value. Um, I would much better prefer if companies use memes for advertisement rather than the other way around, advertisement becoming memes. Um, so I I see it pretty much as a neutral thing. It's It's a mode of communication that was kind of obscure Uh, like internet memes, not memes in general, but specifically internet memes. It was kind of obscure 20 years ago. It became kind of mainstream 10 years ago, and it's it's touching more and more people. It's being more and more accepted as a viable means of communication, as a normal thing that people exchange and share and help grow. Uh, it's like uh, memes are kind of like a, a, a seeds and uh, in the garden of culture and, and society and communication and um, yeah it's I don't see the problem I'm, I'm not saying it's great but it's certainly not bad in my opinion well there you have it this was a conversation with social media influencer musician and am animal enthusiast one Mr. Chad Mojito uh, why don't you go ahead and plug whatever you'd like to um And yeah, so just tell people where they can find you if they haven't heard of you before or if they haven't heard all the work you do, where they can find that. Yeah, uh, so if you want to see anything that I do, I have a hub page where there is a link to my Facebook, my Instagram, my, my Bandcamp where I make uh, my music. There is also my YouTube channel for my videos. I also started making a lot of art. Uh, lately, um, when I say art, it's more like graphic design because I'm someone who has always been obsessed by communication, and especially 
visual communication. That's why I fell into memes so hard, probably. I mean, that's one of the many reasons. And I've always been obsessed and very admirative of people who design logos and stuff like this. The whole visual communication is, is awesome for me. So I practiced for many, many years and I started uh, publishing my work recently and I am trying to make more and more of it uh, and there is a very simple URL where you can find everything that I do it's about.me about a-b-o-u-t dot me m-e slash n-d-m and you click on that you get a site with all my links Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, Behance Network and whatever else uh, it's very it's very simple and you have everything on there. Yeah, and I just wanted to also point out you have a Patreon as well. So if you uh, like Mr. Mojito's content or are interested in the discussions we had today, um, I would suggest becoming a donor. He uh, he puts out amazing amazing rat content, amazing meme content. Um, I've listened to a few of your tunes as well. Just a it's a good place to put your cash. Um. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people say that they want to contribute, but they don't like Patreon because it's a subscription service when uh, you have to pay every month automatically. So uh, when you click on that about me slash NDM, there's a link to my Patreon and also to my Ko-fi, which is kind of like a, a tipping system when you, you, know, you give tips and it's like one-off. Uh, but of course you can always support by just liking, commenting, sharing, uh, whatever. I, oh, I forgot, but I also, I also have a podcast, so you can find it on iTunes and rate five stars, stuff like this. It seems small, but it really helps. Reactions, comments, shares, likes, and ratings, uh, they can make you from obscure to very visible, and uh, it, it's not only about the money. So, although money is always welcome of course but um you know spreading the good word around can be even more important so um thanks thank you uh, anyway for for plugging my uh, oh my of course story. yeah you're, re you're really nice well I, thank uh, i really appreciated uh this uh podcast you know you you contacted me a few a few days ago so i I, I, I'm a little bit ashamed, but I apologize. I haven't had time to listen to any episode yet, but I absolutely plan to listen to uh, a few episodes, and I will definitely share your stuff yeah. around if I like it, because uh, uh, it seems that you uh, do good work, and um, I really want to get into that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm in a pretty intermediate phase. I used to like uh, talk about the philosophy and ethics behind old Twilight Zone episodes, and now I'm onto this project. So I'm I'm pretty much all over the place. It's more of a passion project. It's uh, it, it's kind of like this with uh, with passion projects. Uh, I, I just maybe if we, we can end with this, but I'm reminded of this quote uh, that says, uh, "Find a job that you love, and you will never work a day in your life." There's a lot of inspirational quotes that are tossed around, but this one is really a load of <laughs> Even if you love your work, it still feels like work. Uh, so, uh, I, I, I probably, I imagine that it's the same for you, but it's always, you know, when you have a, a project like this, that is kind of a, kind of like a hobby, that it's not really your main thing, you're always hesitating, you know? It feels like, as we say in France, uh, having the, uh, your ass between two chairs, because you're not sure if you should be taking it seriously and really give effort and time into it, or you're not really sure if you just 
should be this fun thing that you do once in a while. I, I'm, I'm sure it's the, it's the same for you, and so uh, it can be it can be a little uh, exhausting trying to figure this out. So uh, uh, yeah, I um, people who are listening, you should like, comment, and share, and give good ratings to this man's work because it's worth it. Thank you so much. Yeah. So thank yeah thank you for being on the show. It was it was really an honor talking to you. Um, it was, it was my pleasure. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. A uh, ton of fun just yeah. talking and shooting. So thank you a lot. And uh, to everyone else listening, uh, you know, tiny dots. This is just one story amongst a sea of many. So tune in next time for some more perspectives. <laughs>